Hello, everybody, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Alex Mozinski, and today I'm joined by co-host Andrew Hanna. How are you today, Andrew? Good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. And right before the interview, a little bit of a sad story. Andrew just uh, brought up a potentially uh, sad truth that I may be his co-host for his first and his last interview now, um, this might be Andrew's last interview with yeah. GradCast. So the listeners can't see, but I am crying a little bit. Inside. So, on the inside. A lot on the inside. Oh, well. <laughs> if anyone what? could have done it, I'm happy that you did, man. That was the sound <laughs> of a crisp high five, everybody. So uh, let's just rock this interview. Yeah, let's and do it. We've got a great one today. We're here with Rob Shabla. Rob, how are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I'm doing great. That's awesome. Uh, Rob has just transferred from his master's to his PhD in biochemistry here at Western and under the supervision of Murray Junop. Um, so before we get started on the, the nature of your research, Rob, why'd you transfer? <laughs> um, well, first, like, let me, for anyone who doesn't know, so to transfer is when uh, you start off with a master's degree. You do your master's degree and... Um, near the end you decide hmm i really like this project i really like what i'm doing i want to continue on and do a phd basically continue what i'm doing for another three four sometimes more years <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah that's uh, that's what i did i i had a really good project fantastic supervisor really good group and uh i figured it'd be a waste if i didn't stay on for another for a phd so so the transfer from the master's then to the PhD, do you defend your master's and get your master's degree or are you rolling right in and getting through to some PhD work? Yep. So it's, um, like I said, you continue doing exactly what you're, what you are doing for your master's. Um, the difference is, um, at the end of two years, you have, a, an examining committee and, uh, you show them look, this is what I've done over the past two years. Um, this is why I think I should continue on for the next three years. Um, and uh, if they like what you've done, then uh, you're able to transfer and continue on with a PhD. And uh, it, it's a continuation of what you've been doing, essentially. So wow. there's, it just feels like I'm doing what I've always been. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did too. So, so yeah, you don't get your master's, but you accelerate the PhD. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So you really love your project, you really love your lab. What are you studying? Uh, so I'm studying a very cool bacteria. It's called Deinococcus radiodurans. And in its name, radiodurans kind of implies uh, why it's so interesting. It can withstand a ridiculous amount of radiation. So you can blast this thing with 15,000 times the amount of radiation that would be lethal to a human cell, for example, and it survives. Um, so we're really interested in how that works, why it's able to survive. And uh, it turns out that it's able to um, repair its DNA very, very efficiently. Um, for example, in a human cell, if you cut, it, if you cut uh, the DNA, um, even one double-stranded break is lethal to the cell, whereas this thing, this bacteria, could tolerate hundreds of breaks and it's able to puzzle piece its DNA back together and survive so is that like a perfect repair or is that with mutations or how does that work uh perfect repair wow so it's able to do it completely error free wow wow yeah. it's pretty so incredible that that is incredible so 
for all those people who are listening who maybe don't have the greatest concept of, of what DNA looks like and, mm. and what it means to be cut, can you describe a little bit about that for us? So why is it so incredible that you can break apart and put it back together perfectly? And what does it mean? Sorry, this is like a compound question. Um, but what does it mean then also on top of that if it's not put together properly once it's broken? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so DNA, as many people know, it's a set of instructions, right? And uh, for example, in a human cell, we have billions of these genetic letter codes that make up our entire genome. And you can imagine in a set of a billion, like billions of these little nucleotides, these instructions, if you have, if you mess up the order somehow, it's going to be very difficult for the cell to figure out where the error is. So if you have a, a really long instruction and it gets all jumbled up, um, the cell's not going to know what to do and so we'll die. So it's, if there's ever um, any sort of error or damage to the DNA, um, it's very important that the cell finds a way to fix it immediately as fast as possible or else it could be lethal. Yeah, so that, that's what happens in this bacteria. Okay, so so there's a situation where you've you've got your DNA, and the DNA is is that code. It's you mentioned the word nucleotide, yeah. Um, and for anybody who caught that, that's the the kind of the the single piece of DNA that they're strung together to make that code. Um, so you have a whole bunch of nucleotides in sequence, and that encodes everything kind of to do with with your body and and with a cell, I guess. Then mm -hmm. right. Yep, exactly. Okay. So, so when you say cut, what does that mean? So DNA it has a very specific uh, three-dimensional structure. Um, if you ever look at it, you have the classical double helix uh, of DNA. And if you imagine taking this long strand of DNA and taking a pair of scissors and just cutting it, um, that's exactly what's happening in the cell. So when it, when the cell is irradiated with a lot of radiation, um, those high energy particles, they go and cut this DNA and uh, it's very lethal to the cell. So it's analogous to you going in and cutting it with a pair of scissors. So you're literally breaking apart the code that makes kind of anything and everything happen in that cell. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that would, that would be bad. <laughs> okay, so you're studying this bacteria that can survive in, in these really extreme conditions. Are there any other extreme conditions that um, that this bacteria can can survive in, or is it is it yep. just extreme radiation? So, the amount of radiation that it takes to kill this bacteria is so high that no organism on Earth would have ever experienced that amount of radiation. So, it's kind of a philosophical question there. Like, then why why did it evolve to survive this mm -hmm. much radiation? Like, what's going on? But right now, the theory is that um, these cells were found in the driest parts of the desert and the driest parts of Antarctica, as well as the hottest parts of uh, geothermal vents. So it can survive in extreme like conditions, and the kind of overlapping. Um, condition that exists between all these things is um, the existence of breaks within the DNA. So when you take a cell and you dry it out for months, it'll get the same sort of DNA damage as if you were to irradiate it with tons and tons of radiation. Wow. So 
that's how that that's the going theory right now of how this uh, this radio resistance evolved over time. Did that uh, mutate at all? So do you know? Is there a way even you can measure whether or not it's like an original bacteria or it's been like mutated x amount of times to get that type of a resistance? Yeah. So this is um, I'm studying one species in a family of bacteria. So the whole family is called Deinococcus, and I'm studying a species Deinococcus radiodurans. Now it turns out almost all the species within this family, um, well, more specifically genus, uh, have this um, have this radio resistance. So it's not just this species. So there's one species that's called um, Deinococcus geothermalis, and as you can imagine from its name, it was isolated from a geothermal vent. There's another one called Deinococcus deserti, which was found in the middle of the desert, and uh, <laughs> another Deinococcus frigans in the Antarctic. So it's it's a big family of bacteria that all have this really cool characteristic. So it's like a, an extreme sports family of bacteria. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, yeah. If you don't mind, um, you mentioned the, the radiation level. So just for my own curiosity and for those who are listening, so what can the human body or a human cell withstand in terms of radiation um, and then this cell? Sure. Uh, so to a human cell, less than one... So the, the unit of radiation that we measure is called a gray. So a human cell can withstand less than one gray. Um, Deinococcus can withstand up to 14,000 grays without being affected. So it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. So that would be like the 14,000th and one gray to actually break into the cell, more <laughs> so, or less? So it, it, it has the same effect as on a human cell. Oh, okay. um, it breaks up its DNA. The only difference is this bacteria can repair its DNA a lot better than the human cell. Okay. Much, 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 much better <laughs> than the human wow. cell. So how does it do this? How does it repair its DNA? And well, that is the mystery. <laughs> so um, there are some models that are proposed, uh, but me specifically, I'm, I'm interested in this one protein. It's this tool that uh, Deinococcus, that all these Deinococcus bacteria have. It's a protein called PPRA. And what's interesting about it is that it doesn't exist in any other organism outside of Deinococcus. So it's special, nothing else has it. And uh, if you take this protein away from this bacteria, uh, it's no longer able to survive um, under radiation. So it's clearly important for something. Uh, so what I'm doing is I'm trying to figure out what role this protein does. So it's like some sort of a little molecular machine that is involved in repairing the bacteria's DNA. Um, so that was PPRA? PPRA, yes. What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> Um, biochemists are notorious for coming up with <laughs> uh, funny names for proteins. Uh, it stands for pleiotropic protein promoting DNA repair A, but nobody's ever going to re remember that, so we just call it <laughs> PPRA. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, are these are these uh, bacteria in abundance on Earth, or is it just uh, like a rare amount, or what's going on there? Oh, absolutely. You could go outside right now and scratch the scratch the ground touch a tree and you'll probably have dinococcus wow. on your fingers yeah it's wow. there it's everywhere yeah so they're thriving oh yeah they're thriving <laughs> and right, some so people actually uh well initially when they first discovered dinococcus some people actually suggested that they came from mars <laughs> 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 just because uh 
Ah, maybe it could survive on Mars. So it's uh, this PPRA protein, and that's critical for its its extreme survival. And without it, it would be you know playing golf instead of doing extreme sports. Um, so how exactly do we know that this this PPRA protein has any kind of a function in this DNA repair that we're seeing? Does it does it do something to the DNA or what's going on? Yep. At this point. Um what we know about this protein is very limited. We know little bits and pieces about what it does. So we know that it physically interacts with the DNA. So it finds uh, the broken DNA ends in the cell and attaches onto it. Um, what it does after that is very hazy. People have some ideas, um, uh, but it's not, not quite clear yet. Um, in our lab, what we've found is that when you look at this protein uh, under like a really, really powerful microscope, you can see that it forms these really long filaments. Um, and that seems to be important for its function somehow. What these filaments are doing, um, we're unsure, but we know that it somehow has an important effect in this DNA repair process. Okay. So how are you looking at this? Uh, there's a few ways, um, actually. So I'm in a lab that we are mainly a structural biology lab. So that means we look at the, the three-dimensional structure of these proteins. And we do that using a technique called X-ray crystallography. Um, Sounds really cool. It is. Uh, I, uh, it's, a, it's a really cool technique. Um, basically, you're able to see what a protein looks like at the atomic level. So to give you some perspective, you can see the protein at a resolution of uh, one angstrom, which is 0.1 nanometers. In comparison, that's about the, the diameter of a hydrogen atom. So very, very, very small, very high resolution. Um, it's not a trivial technique um, because you need to isolate this protein and unsuccessfully crystallize it. Um, shoot it with uh, x-rays and what we call solve the structure and uh, so we've been doing this for the past two years and we didn't get a structure until about a month ago <laughs> so wow. Wow. well I mean I've been working it on two years on it for two years but our lab has been working on it for about 10 now <laughs> so wow. it's a pretty big day about is uh is canada a leader in in this type of research on this bacteria or are you looking at other countries that are also have been looking at this um i know there are quite a few people in japan and france that are interested in this bacteria and actually this um this protein specifically um here at western there are a few people interested um in dinococcus um but I, I believe mostly in the in the states. Um, oh, okay. It's where people are studying Dinococcus. Is that for like secondary interest, or do you know why why that's the case? Yeah. So it, it's uh, studying Dinococcus. A, a lot of research nowadays is uh, you're studying something because uh, it might have some medical relevance or some potential application to human health. This is one of those things where we're studying it because it's really cool and we <laughs> want to learn about its biology, right? If we only studied about thing, studied things like for an application purpose, then we wouldn't discover some of the really cool things that, that have been discovered. For example, CRISPR. Um, if you haven't heard of it, it's a really, really useful um, 
genetic engineering tool that's been developed over the past five years, but it, it was discovered purely like this. Someone noticed that uh, bacteria have a really high um, resistance to viruses and they wanted to figure out how it's doing this and someone discovered the CRISPR system. And now it's treating cancer, it's treating, um, it's actually been used to treat AIDS, it's pretty amazing. And it was all from basic research of someone looking at this system because it was cool, right? So um, I'm not saying that PPRA will have some sort of, will be able to cure cancer, but you know, somewhere in this bacteria, there might be a really useful genetic tool. You never know. All right, so PPRA um, is, is critical to this radiation resistance and DNA repair. And it forms, you mentioned filaments. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by filaments? What, what's a filament? Um, so if you imagine, um, if you imagine taking, well, it, it forms a string almost. So okay. you have a bunch of small building blocks, which are individual proteins, and they all come together to form this very ordered long string. Um, this string presumably goes and associates with a DNA and somehow mediates its repair. So somehow says, okay, this is where it's broken. Let's bring in some um, other repair proteins to come in and try and fix this repair or to try and fix this DNA. And so by solving its 3D structure using X-ray crystallography, exactly. which you described earlier, um, how did you determine that it forms this filament? So we saw the filaments um, using a different technique okay. uh, called uh, electron microscopy, um, very similar to just light microscopy, um, except with the difference of instead of using light, we're using electrons. Um, uh, so we saw that was seen years ago in our lab um, when we first saw these filaments under a microscope. The, the three-dimensional structure that we solved um, is looking at the, these individual proteins rather than the filament as a whole. Um, so in biochemistry, or in um, to study a, a protein's structure is very much linked with studying its function. So if you imagine you have a piece of paper, you could fold it into a paper airplane or you can fold it into, say, an envelope. So you start out with the same piece of paper, but you end up with something with a very different function. It's the same thing with proteins. They fold in a very specific way, and that three-dimensional structure that they fold into dictates what it does, dictates its function. So by looking at this three-dimensional structure, we can sort of figure out what the function of this protein is. So we solve the structure of this protein, and... Um, uh, now we're kind of get, getting little hints here and there of how it works. So we say, okay, this is probably the site where it binds DNA. This is probably the site where it forms these filaments. Um, and we see that this is probably a site where it gets phosphorylated or other. Uh, I'm not going to get into specifics, but yeah. you kind of get the idea there. Yeah, yeah sorry, I'm, I'm grinning. Uh, for anyone who can't see it, everyone listening, I'm kind of grinning because I just imagined when you're describing by solving the structure, you can potentially figure out what it's doing. Because I just imagine taking Lego and, and 
not looking at the instructions and trying to put together all the different pieces. Is that similar to kind of what you're, what you're getting at? You, you have a structure and then it's like, okay, well, these two can fit together this way. And Oh, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so you could take a bunch of Lego bricks yeah. and you can put them together to make different things. So you can make a car or you can make a house. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, that's the same thing with a terrible protein, analogy. Yeah. But when, no, no, it's a good analogy. <laughs> when you're looking at the, uh, the way that um, the DNA repairs itself, could that potentially be used as a model to maybe understand how we can apply this to humans or animal cells? Uh, yes, that was uh, that was another thing. Um, there's there's a human protein that uh, you know a little bit is known about, but again, not too too much. And we know it's also involved in DNA repair in humans, not to the extent in Deinococcus, but it's still involved in repair. And uh, after we solved this structure, we saw that there's structural similarities between these two proteins. So if they have the same structure, they probably have the same function. Wow. So the more we learn about this protein probably can translate to this human protein as well. Um, it's a little speculative at this point, but uh, you kind of get the idea, you know. Wow. There is, There can be some translation. It's just, honestly, every time, I'm just thinking, to be honest, if you want my Lego analogy right now, but all I'm thinking is that how are we going to apply this to, like, military? I feel like there's some sort of, <laughs> oh, is there any underground there? Because it's like, that sounds like a crazy way to just you know evolve as uh, you know the human the body if we can find out if we could be that resistant to radiation who else, what else could we be resistant to at that point so it's funny nasa was really interested in dinococcus at one point um for purposes of terraforming mars <laughs> so, <laughs> wow um if you can imagine like they don't it, there's no ozone layer on mars there's very thin atmosphere so it's constantly being irradiated with gamma rays and you need if you want to terraform mars you need an organism that can survive that kind of radiation so i mean this would be way down the road but if we figure out how the system works how this dna repair system works we could apply it to other organisms like plants or even animals or you know other things maybe that's, humans <laughs> yeah, i mean one day <laughs> that's incredible that is so you mentioned crispr earlier as well yeah. and that came from bacteria yep this PRPA protein is from a different bacteria. Why are bacteria so good at fixing DNA and modifying themselves and manipulating things this way? And, and why are we apparently so bad at it? What's going on? <laughs> um, well, if you imagine the evolutionary life cycle of a bacteria, it's uh, a few hours versus a human you have 80 years right so um, this natural selection process of a bacteria is much higher throughput than say a human or a higher organism um, so if you put a selective pressure on an organism like a bacteria of hey like you got to repair your DNA or you're gonna die out <laughs> it's gonna find a way to do it and uh, that's what you find with bacteria usually is if you ask it to do something or else it's gonna die it's gonna find a way to do it <laughs> Wow. wow. If only we could do that. Yeah. So these applications, potentially, if we could apply this to, to humans or, or food crops or whatever down the road, um, we've already kind of touched on a little bit with terraforming Mars, but what, what else do you see for the world of possibilities for applications of PRPIA? Uh, so something like terraforming Mars, that would be very 
down the road and um, yeah. but what I see as uh, more short term um, is some there must be some sort of genome editing tools that are hidden within this bacteria that we don't know about yet. Uh, one of the big challenges in biochemistry is moving around large pieces of DNA in a very specific way. Um, whether it's uh, editing a specific nucleotide within a human cell of billions of nucleotides, or whether it's shifting around like massive pieces of DNA. Um, it's very difficult at this moment. So we don't quite have the techno we haven't mastered the technology yet. So somewhere within this organism, I believe, is um, some sort of technology that we can harvest and use for some sort of genome ed editing applications. But the PRPA protein specifically, yeah. can, you, can you think of, of other things that maybe it could be used for um, right here on Earth? I just, sure. I don't have ideas, but <laughs> you might. <laughs> Sure. Well, it's it's actually been used for quite a few things. Um, there's a genetic tool called the ligase, which links two pieces of DNA together. And um, researchers have found that if you put that if you fuse PPRA and this ligase together, um, it makes it like a hundred times more efficient um, at ligating pieces of DNA. Um, so already, even not knowing very much about this protein, uh, people are already starting to use it. Uh, for certain things. Um, so I, once we learn how it actually works, uh, then we can maybe start seeing what it can really be used for. Uh, yeah, cause to, the, yeah, to me, this is like screaming like gene therapy and potentially anti-cancer, yeah. like all these things. Like I would imagine that must be possible, but like I, I have no idea if that's right. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. That's a big driving force. Yeah, yeah Rob, this is truly incredible. This is an incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. It's, it's it's a really cool protein, really cool bacterium. Um, so if if so, we only have about a minute left. So if I wanted to know more about um, PRPA or this extreme bacteria family, is there anywhere that that myself or any listener uh, could find you or other details about this research um, on the internet? You know stores, science center, anywhere you could go to learn more? Uh, sure. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there, um, even if you just Google Dinococcus. Um, there's a lot of research on it right now. But uh, if, you're ever, if you're ever interested and you'd like to stop by, I'm in the medical science building up on the third floor. Um, if you just look for the Junip lab, um, I'm usually there every day between nine to nine most days <laughs> honestly <laughs> um but yeah no i'd be happy to chat with anyone all right well thank you very much that's this has been gradcast with rob shabla um studying extreme bacteria and prpa and the implications are just mind-boggling to i think both me and andrew absolutely Everybody, thank you for listening. This has been Gradcast on CHRW. See you next time. We don't cry, we just hurt.